Micah 6 and verse 8. We're going to start there this morning. I'm not talking about the blessing anymore. But what I'm talking about today does have to do with the blessing. How you handle it. So we're going to talk today about racism in the church. And more importantly, I'm going to say what God tells me to say. That's, that's the thing. I'm not giving you opinions and thoughts today. I'm going to give you what the word has to say about it all. Um, so this is going to be a different service and a different message than normal. It might have a little bit different flow than my normal preaching and teaching, but it's okay because I got a lot of things I want to share and uh, it's going to come out the way that God wants it to come out and the way that the Holy Spirit is going to lead me to say it. But I want us all to just take a deep breath and let your pastor take his time this morning. Can you do that? It's 1035. I mean, they still are serving breakfast down at McDonald's right now. It's okay. It's not even, we're not even close to lunchtime. It's 1035. So I don't want to feel rushed today. So don't make me feel rushed today. Can you do that? And how do you make me feel rushed? By looking at me kind of funny when I start talking about certain things. You're like, yeah, hurry up. We got to go to Golden Corral. We need to get there. There's no other churches even meeting right now, so you're going to beat them to the restaurant if you go today. So we're going to start here in Micah 6 and verse 8, and uh, we're going to read this, and it's in the Amplified Version. It says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And notice what it says, what does the Lord require of you? Stop. What does the Lord require of you? Now, Today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm not even talking to you because I can only tell you so much because if you don't believe that God's word is true and you don't believe in Jesus, there's only so much help I can give you today. But I'm talking about you that are Christians and say you follow Jesus and say God's word is the truth above all other truth. This is what I'm saying today that pertains to you. Notice what it says. What does the Lord require of you? Take that personally, church. What does the Lord require of me? And notice what it says in Micah 6 and 8. To do justly, to love kindness and mercy, and to humble yourself and walk humbly with your God. Notice what it says. What does the Lord require of you? Or you could even write in your Bible, what does the Lord require of me? Notice what he says. First of all, to do justly or do what is right. To love kindness and mercy. I'm not seeing that a whole lot in this country right now. But it shouldn't be that way for us as followers of Jesus. Notice, to love kindness and mercy. And lastly, and to humble yourself and to walk humbly with your God. I love that. What does the Lord require of you, church, today during this whole situation? What does God want for you to do? How does he want you to respond? He wants you to do what's right first. Do what's just. And he wants you to love kindness and mercy when the way you treat people, the way you talk to people, the way you handle things. But lastly, he wants you to humble yourself. <laughs> humble yourself. Notice God's not going to humble you. You've got to humble yourself. And to walk humbly with your God. So today we're going to be talking about racism and the church. Racism in the church. So I'm going to lay a lot of foundation today. So, uh, well, Anthony is the only person that wants to hear me talk today. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. Uh, 
lay some foundation today. And I want to say, first of all, I just want to see a show of hands. First of all, is this your church? Raise your hand. Okay. Put them down. Am I your pastor? Now, don't just raise your hand because you think I'm going to call you out. No, raise your hand. Do you receive me as your pastor today? Not just because I'm up here. Okay. Then let me pastor you today. When you, when you choose to have a pastor in your life, you're assuming that the pastor is probably going to say some things you probably disagree with. Or, or there's going to be some things he brings up that are different than maybe the way you thought about it. Or the pastor's going to challenge you in some areas, and he's going to try to grow your life, and he's going to try to help you. And maybe you don't know everything about everything. Because neither do I. And I have to have people speak into my life because all of us in here have blind spots and areas in our lives that we don't see. And if we think we do see it, we a lot of times we need somebody else to point it out and say, hey, have you ever thought about this? Maybe this is hurting you. Maybe this attitude you have is not right according to the word. Maybe you need to change this area or grow in this area. So I'm saying if I am your pastor today, then let me pastor you. How many know you don't know you have a pastor until he tells you something that makes you feel uncomfortable? Hello, somebody. <laughs> and everybody's like, well, we, we've been dealing with that with Dr. Jacobs for 30 years. We can handle it from you. Because everything he said confronted me. Good. And you know why? Because he was trying to help you. If you agreed with everything he said, then how would you ever change? How would you ever grow? You wouldn't need a pastor. You would be your own pastor. Come on now. So that doesn't mean I know everything about everything. I don't. But I am anointed to pastor you. There's one thing I do know in life, and that is pastoring people in the local church. That's all I do. That's all I think about. Literally, that's the only thought I have in my life from the time I get up to the time I go to sleep is church. Yeah, and Natalie, of course, and the boys, and ice cream and playtime. No, okay, and a lot of stuff. Keep me on task here. So if I am your pastor, let me pastor you today. Now, we have a multicultural, multiracial church, multigenerational church, and uh, we want it to be that way because that is what heaven looks like. And there's strengths with every generation, and there's strengths with every race or every culture. And how many know you're going to be missing a part if you don't have it all in your church? And we've always been a church like that, but I know we could do better, and we want to grow in that, and that's why we need to talk about things like this. I preach about things for two different reasons. I don't look through a sermon's preacher's book. Some people do that. I, I, I don't just look online what everybody else is preaching and just copy it. I do listen to other preachers. I preach about something at this church for two reasons. First of all, God told me to. And secondly, I feel like it's personally important to me. So I just preached about the blessing. Why did I do that? One, because God told me to. Secondly, I thought the blessing is important to me, and I want to help other people with this. I don't just pick random things or just talk about what's trendy in culture. So that's why I'm sharing what I'm sharing today. I just want to be very clear about that. I'm not being pressured into this conversation. I'm saying it because I want to. 
and God has told me to talk about it. Because how many know we can't have a multiracial church unless we talk about issues like this? Because just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean it heals it or makes it better. I'm already preaching before I'm preaching. You guys want this today. You're like, oh, I hope he says something really edgy today. (laughs) So, let's continue. Um, And I was thinking about this because I wanted to preach about revival starting this month. I wanted to preach about revival. And, and, you know, I I was talking to God about it because I was like, God, I want to preach about revival. And you're kind of, it's kind of turning what I'm talking about. And he goes, you are preaching about revival. You you might not see it as that, but if you get this right, because this is trying to cause division and strife and hatred, not just in the world, but especially in the church world. And if he knows he can split the church right in half to black versus white and all these issues and there's no unity, there will never be any revival worldwide. The, the worldwide revival that's been prophesied, it's not automatic. It will not happen if the enemy can split the church in half and get them fighting and into division. So I said, I want to preach about revival. And he said, you are. And it's interesting I saw somebody share this, and I thought it was amazing earlier this week. You know, the Pentecostal charismatic church has always been for multicultural, multiracial churches. Sometimes when other denominations, I'm not going to call them out, were against this. Actually, the Pentecostal movement that started 100 years ago in Azusa Street was a multicultural, multiracial church. Now, it started with William Seymour, who was an African-American man who was in Azusa Street, which is in the Los Angeles area, that the Azusa Street revival or the, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. How many know people have always been spirit-filled? But the renewal of the Holy Spirit and the, the spirit-filled movement and Pentecostal and charismatic churches came to the forefront, came through Azusa Street revival, and it was led by an African-American man named William Seymour. And if you look at pictures of his church, it was a multiracial church, which in that time and that day was very unusual. <laughs> and back then, illegal. And if you look at a picture of William Seymour's congregation, there's, there's old and there's young and there's black and there's white and there's people that are rich and there's poor because the Pentecostal movement, the Holy Spirit movement, and how many know that's what the Holy Spirit does? He brings everybody together and he, he, he tears down the barriers of race and he tears down the barriers of economics and he tears, I'm preaching, and he tears down the barriers of old and young and he brings everybody together because the Holy Spirit is a unifier. And if the Holy Spirit comes in you, he's going to change your heart and he's going to change your mind. He's going to change the way you think. And so these people that used to have prejudice and racial issues, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at the Azusa Street Revival, people from all walks of life and all different colors and all different types of people came to that revival and started really the Pentecostal charismatic movement that's in the world today in 2020. So that makes me just thankful to be a Pentecostal again. It makes me thankful to be a charismatic again, that knowing uh, that not only was it started in the book of Acts in the early church, but it was re-kind of ignited at the Azusa Street Revival. That's exciting. So revival 
is attached to how we deal with racism. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's read again Micah 6, verse 8. It says, So he has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly and to love kindness and mercy and to humble yourself and walk humbly with your God. So I'm still laying the foundation. So what kind of response am I expecting out of you today as a follower of Jesus? To humble yourself. You know what humility is? Humility can say that I can change. Humility says that I can learn from somebody else. Humility can say that I'm wrong. Humility can say I'm willing to change. Knowing that there is other people and other voices and especially people that hear from God and I can listen to God and humble myself and I can grow and I can learn and I can admit that I'm wrong and I can be willing to change. So what am I expecting of you? When you hear the rest of this message, what am I expecting you to, to you uh, for you in your heart? Humility. Once again, humility says I can grow, I can learn, I can change, I can be willing to repent and say I'm wrong. But what does the Lord require of you to do justly, to love kindness and mercy, and to humble yourself and walk humbly before your God? You know, this message can be uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be. But if it's uncomfortable, realize it's growing pains. You know how when you're little and you start having all those aches in your legs and arms and your mom or dad says, oh, that's growing pains. So when you start growing and you start stretching and you start changing, that's all this uncomfortableness is. It's growing pains. When somebody confronts you with some truth and, and says you can grow, you can change, and you can admit you're wrong, but you can only handle that if you walk in humility. Some of you will say I say too much today, and some of you will say I say too little today. But I'm going to say what God tells me to say. <laughs> Here, here's something I, I want to share with you too because this is super loud on social media and before I go any further all of you need to take a break from the news including myself there was two different days this week that I had to just turn my phone off and go take another walk and go pray again because I got it settled earlier in the day and by the end of the day I was grieved and crying and uncomfortable again and I'm like I got to leave the house again to go pray because of the weight of this is in me and on me right now and I'm so upset because what I'm consuming that nonstop the news the social media and everything else and how many know all of us were not designed to handle that I want you to be informed, but there's a difference, and a lot of people don't know where the line is. They are way more than uh, informed. They're overwhelmed, and, and, and they're feeding on that nonstop. Just like faith comes by hearing and hearing, so does fear. So does grief. So does overwhelm, that overwhelmed situation. So I want to encourage you as your pastor, be informed, but we all need to shut off some social media. We need to turn off the news stations and we need to get into God's word. You know, there's a reason why when we consume that so much, we feel hopeless. Why? Because we're focusing on the problem and we get away from the answer. 
You're like, why do I feel so hopeless and overwhelmed? Because you took in your eyes off of Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and put it on the problem. You've taken your eyes off the word and you've consumed everything else. So be informed. You need to. And don't put your head in the sand and act like it's not there. But if you're starting to feel overwhelmed and hopeless, realize you got your eyes on the wrong thing. You need to get back to the word, back to Jesus, back to worship. How many know you put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness? Pray that out. Worship that out. Get in the word of God. But I'm encouraging you as your pastor. You need to shut it off. You needed to shut it off during Corona. (laughs) You needed to shut it off during the financial situation. Most of us haven't shut it off for three months. No wonder we're so agitated and overwhelmed right now. So that's just a little pastoral encouragement. You guys still here today? So. As we continue talking about this, I want to make this very clear because I've been hearing this a lot on social media. And you as a follower of Jesus need to take every comment and put it through the filter of the word. Because there's a lot of things right now on social media that sound true and they sound right. And for a worldly person, it makes perfect sense. But you're not a worldly person, so it shouldn't make sense. And... You need to take every comment that somebody puts up and put it through the filter of the word. I know this feels true right now, and it looks true right now, but what does the word say? Come on now. Now, I'm talking to everybody here, white and black, yellow, brown, Hispanic, Dominican, whatever you are, Asian, Indian. That goes for everybody. So you got to put it through the filter of the word. Okay, this is the comment. That I understand it, but you got to take it through the filter of the word. Everybody on social media right now, everybody. You can't tell me what to think. You can't tell me what to feel. You can't tell me what to do right now. Nobody can tell me. I just got to vent this to you. Nobody can tell me what to do. I understand that. I understand that. But let's take it through the filter of the word. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's not just your Savior, he's your Lord. That means he has every right to tell you how to think, how to feel, and what to do. And I've seen a lot of people blasting other people. No, you can't tell me what to think. You can't tell me what to feel. You can't tell me what to do. No, random people can't. I agree with that, and they shouldn't. But the Word has every right to tell you how to think and feel and act. And let me take one more step. Since I am your pastor, I'm going to point you to the Word, and I have every right to tell you how to think and to feel and how to act. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not, then I don't. Can I get amen in the house of God? And I want to tell you why that's dangerous. Because if no one can tell you how to think, feel, or act, you're in a very dangerous place to be. If no one can correct you, no one. I'm not talking about random people. I'm talking about your husband and wife can't say anything to you. 
Your pastor can't say anything to you. Your godly friends and family can't say anything to you. The word of God can't say anything to you just because you feel something so strong or think something so strong or do something so strong. You are in a dangerous place. You are. And you are walking right into the hands of the enemy. (laughs) Can we all agree on that for a second? Now, once again, I get that because everyone is hot. And that's their emotion talking. That's their pain talking. That's their grief talking. So that's where that comment's coming from. But I'm saying if we're going to follow Jesus, we do not have the right to just think, feel, and do anything we want. Now, once again, doesn't mean you can't feel things. God knows you do. Doesn't mean you can't voice it to people that you want help from. But I'm saying to stay in that place that no one can tell me anything is a dangerous place to be. Now, I'm not aiming at one particular group of people. I'm talking to all of us in here. You know, there's, there's no difference in that. And we've talked about this when it comes to anxiety and depression because that's, that's a similar thing in our culture today that the world is giving us a lot of advice about, but it's not the word. What do they tell people? Well, you can't tell anybody if they're depressed or anxious how to feel or think or act. That's not scriptural. I get it. There's people that aren't sensitive to other people that try to talk to people that have depression or anxiety. But if you have a good godly friend or a good pastor... They should be talking to you if you're depressed or anxious. Not saying you don't feel that way, but they should be encouraging you and and trying to build your faith up and and trying to talk some life into you. Not just letting you think or feel or do whatever you want. It's a dangerous place to be. So, today, I'm going to try to refocus our eyes on God's word, God's opinion, God's thoughts, because his ways are true. Everything we feel or think or even have an opinion about is not necessarily true. God's word is true. So I wanted to deal with that comment because before I say anything else, you're going to be like, well, pastor, you're telling me how to think, feel, or act. And I'm saying, yes, I am. Because I'm trying to pastor you and get you on the word. I'm still laying the foundation. You okay? So, thinking about this, a lot of times in this discussion, not just with the racial issue, but everything in our country right now, you need to realize everyone is taking everything to the extreme. Listen to what I'm saying. That's why things are getting lost when people are trying to have a conversation. This person says this, and they take it as this. (laughs) This person says this and takes it over here. When there's a balance here that a lot of people are not walking in. Because they're trying to make everybody take sides. You either this or you hate this. You're either for this or you hate this. And a lot of situations in our lives are not either or. They're both and. 
But we live in a culture that says, no, you have to agree with all of this or you hate this. Or you have to agree with all this or you hate this. That's not God. That's the enemy. Trying to start division. And really, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are not either or. They're both and. Let me give you an example. You can love this country, which I do. You can honor the military, which I do. You can honor the police officers and thank them for their sacrifice. And also still admit that change needs to happen. (gasps) You can do both at the same time. But notice our culture will not let you say that. Some people already left. If a worldly person was sitting in here, they would say, oh, my gosh, he just supported our country. Can you do both? Yeah. And a thinking person can do both. A balanced person can understand both sides and agree with it. So, yeah, you can love your country. You can love the military. You can honor police officers because there's a ton of amazing police officers and yet say there's something wrong in our country and there needs to be changes in the police system. And there needs to be changes in other areas of government. And there is sin that has happened for years and years and years in our country. And we can admit that we're wrong in some areas and still love our country at the same time. Are you all still still with me on this? So it's not either or. It's both and. Let's just make that very clear because I realize the climate of the culture is not letting anyone even say that. But I just said it. And I, I feel like that's not just my perspective or opinion. That's the words. You can, you can agree with both. You can do justly. You can love mercy. You can honor those in authority. And you can also admit when, admit when things are wrong. It's not either or. It's both and. So I want to be very clear about that today. Before I get into this message and you're like, well, pastor just doesn't honor this country anymore. He just disrespects the police officers. Not even talking about that. It's not either or. It's both and. I realize I'm just laying some foundation, but you, you need to stay with me here. So. The race issue in this country and I realize it's in every country but this country really has an issue the racism in this country in this world is not a political issue today once again don't read into it something that I'm not saying not talking about politics this morning this is not a political issue Racism in this country is not a political issue. This is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is not a liberal or conservative issue. This is not a white or a black issue. This is a right and a wrong issue. It's a sin issue. And you have to admit that. Now, how are we handling this again? We're listening to this message with humility. It takes humility to admit that. It's not a political issue. It's not a white or black issue. The racism in this country and the things that have happened are 
a right and wrong issue. It's a sin issue at the core of it. And so since it is a sin issue, the church should be the loudest on this subject. Since it is a sin issue, the world has no answers for it. To end it or get rid of it, you could change every law in this country and there would still be racism if you don't get to the root of it. And the root can only be dealt with with the church because Jesus is the only answer to the sin issue. And you can change a law, but you cannot change a heart until Jesus changes your heart. So that's why the church needs to talk about it, because there is no answers in the White House, and there is no answers with the Democrats, and there's no answers with the Republicans, but there is answers in the church because of Jesus. This is a right or wrong issue. This is a sin issue. So we as believers do not have the luxury to stand on the sidelines and just act like it doesn't exist because we're going to be on the side of what's wrong. It's a sin issue. I love this. I, I got some quotes for you, but Abraham Lincoln, you know, who um, through the Civil War uh, freed the slaves. When asked about this, because you can imagine the persecution Abraham Lincoln was getting at this time. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, God's with you. God's with the Republicans because the Republicans and Abraham Lincoln were the, happened to be the people in office when the slaves were freed. And this is what Abraham Lincoln said, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. So in issues like this, it's not so much, we don't need to think of it, well, God's already on our side. No, we need to see where is God in this? Because maybe I, maybe I am on this side or maybe I'm not on this side. And Abraham Lincoln, even though he, he knew it was right in what he was doing, he said, oh, I'm going to treat this with some humility and say, it's not that, I, that God's always on my side. I need to be on his side. And by me choosing to free the slaves, I'm choosing to be on the side of what's right. <laughs> and, I, and I, I'm concerned that God's on our side. So it's not a right or wrong issue. It's a sin issue. Let me say this about racism. Racism, uh, and I love this. Somebody put this out this week. Racism is evil. It is demonic to its core. To treat people with dishonor because of their skin color is absolute foolishness. In Christ... We have the privilege and responsibility to oppose racism in all its forms and stand with those who have suffered from it. And that's the way I feel about it. Because that's what's right. What I'm seeing is a lot of people who are getting lost in translation in this conversation, like I just said. Because they're being lost in this conversation, I'm seeing a whole lot of insensitive, rude, selfish, hateful comments. And I realize it's because they don't understand each other. The both sides do not understand each other. There's, there's things that are being lost. So today, I'm going to try to be the mediator and, and the translator to maybe make clear some of the things that are going on in this country and maybe even some of the terms so that you understand it as white black hispanic people in here 
but especially the white people in this congregation, since I am one, to help them understand things a little better. So I'm seeing a lot of these comments, like I said, insensitive, rude, selfish, hateful, because people don't understand. They don't get it. But I want to give you a few ways to look at this. And, of course, it ultimately starts with humility. But there are two other words that came to mind during this conversation that we all should have that most of us are not having. In the church world and even outside the church, it's empathy and compassion. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. I hear a lot of comments that show no empathy, no understanding of anyone else's feelings, no humility to have empathy to understand and share another person's hardships or pain or suffering. How many know Jesus walked in empathy with people? Read throughout the Gospels, even though he was God, he decided to humble himself and to talk to the lowest of low. He tried to understand the prostitute. He tried to understand those who were broken. He tried to understand those who were hurting. He didn't judge them. He walked in empathy and listened to what they had to say. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to shut our mouths. Oh, yeah, let me pastor you all right now. And show some empathy for some other people that are not you. Maybe that have some different life experiences or, or different things going on in their life. We need to listen and show empathy. Here's another word that Jesus used in the Gospels, compassion. Jesus, when he healed people, it says he was moved with compassion. I love what the word compassion means. It's not just love. It's love with action. Compassion is... I don't just love you, but I love you enough to do something about it. Come on now. I love you enough to say something about it. I love you enough to stand up for what's right. I love you enough to not just say I love you on Sundays, but do something for it Monday through Saturday. So when we hear the rest of this message, I want us to think about the way we should handle what we're hearing in the world and what we're hearing on the news and even the rest of this message with empathy the ability to understand and share feelings of another, but also with compassion, that we would not just love people, love with people with actions. Okay. You ready? So I want to translate some stuff for you. I'm going to mediate this. Because once again, people say this, they take it over here. People say this, they take so nobody's actually having a real balanced thinking Scriptural conversation here. Nobody is. So I want to I use a few terms. I want to explain it to you, especially the white people in here, um, what it means because we're seeing a lot of fights over just even simple terminology right now, which makes no sense. The first, the first thing I want to say is um, you're hearing a lot of this, black lives matter. And, and people are not understanding. It's the simplest statement in the world, but they're not understanding what it means. So let me explain this to you because people are so offended by the term Black Lives Matter. Now, black people aren't offended by that. But other people that aren't black are offended by that because they keep saying, well, all lives matter. Duh. 
It's not the point right now. But if you were just a thinking person who just, once again, humbled yourself for five seconds, you could get it. Now, now why do people have to suddenly say all lives matter? Pride. Why? Why do you have to immediately bring it back on yourself? That's not empathy. That's not compassion. That's not even humility. It's the pride in you that comes out and says, but what about me? What about you? Nobody said you didn't matter. They're saying right now, real simple, that black lives matter because they have been taken advantage of. And there's a lot of black lives that are being murdered more than other races, especially whites. And there is an issue in our country. Can you just admit that? It's that simple. It's not a political comment. It's a comment that is full of empathy and compassion and humility. But once again, when people say Black Lives Matter, there is so many insensitive, hateful, ridiculous comments that come back. It makes no sense. Let me give you some examples here. You know, the the Bible uses the example that we are the body of Christ. If your arm got chopped off and was laying on the floor and you said, we need to focus on the arm right now. And you said, hey, well, I have a hangnail. (laughs) Do you know how ridiculous that is? But that's what a lot of white people are saying in the culture. The arm has been chopped off of the body of Christ. And a lot of the white church is saying, but we have a hangnail, guys. Come on now, you ain't, you ain't saying nothing now. Not denying that you don't have issues too, but being empathetic and compassionate enough to admit that somebody else is going through something. Can you just chill for a second? We will take care of your hangnail in a second, but you're bleeding out of your arm and your arm is laying on the floor. We need to stitch this up and heal this first, and then we will get the clippers out and get your hangnail. Come on, I was trying to lighten it up a little bit. You guys are still too serious. Do you, do you see that? It, it's kind of, it's, it's the same way. And I know this is a little drastic of an example, but it will just bring it home here. If you went over during World War II, uh, during the Holocaust, and, and the Jews were in a concentration camp, and they were being mistreated. I, I realize this is an extreme example, but think for a second. And, and, and they were being murdered more than other groups of people, and they were being tortured. And if you walked in that concentration camp, and you were not Jewish, and the Nazi people were doing something to your life, and you came up and said, yeah, but I got headaches too. Do you not see how insensitive that comment is right there? Somebody just tell me you can see that. Because you're all thinking people. You could see that. That, that Not that you don't matter at the moment, but you can understand that enough to just step back from your pride for a second and show some compassion, some empathy for somebody else, and not keep saying insensitive comments like that. I know that's a strong example, but it's true. Same thing if you saw someone grieving and uh, someone in their life just died and they were at the funeral and, and you came up and you're like, yeah, but 
I've had people die in my life too. How many know that's insensitive? Rude. <laughs> so, when you argue with statements like Black Lives Matter, that's what you sound like. Insensitive. Rude. Not the heart of God. Not compassionate, not empathetic, not humility. You're trying to put it back on yourself. That's pride. No one ever said that all lives didn't matter. They're just saying right now, there's some things that need to change in our country. There's some things that need to change in our government. There's some things that need to be changed on the way that African-American are treated by police officers and other things like that. That's all that they're trying to say. I got all sorts of looks right now. Some like I agree, some like I don't know, some like uh, I don't know what's going on today. <laughs> Can we all agree on that so far? Not that I needed your agreement, but I'm just trying to think with you here. I'm trying to translate this. So still talking about this Black Lives Matter and trying to understand it with empathy and compassion. The Bible even says that mourn with those who mourn. Suffer with those who suffer. It actually says if one part of the body suffers, all parts of the body suffer. Bringing attention to one part that's going through something doesn't take away from the rest of the body. Actually, if the whole body turned around and helped the part that was in need, the whole body would be stronger and healthier instead of ignoring it and say, yeah, but my, my, what about me? I'm the head. What about me? I'm the foot, and I had a pain the other day too. What about me? My knee was hurting three weeks ago. One person, one person. Thank you. I know this is a completely different message than every other Sunday morning message, but I'm trying to share something with you. So here's an example even from your Bible, Luke 15, about Black Lives Matter. Jesus said that he had 100 sheep. There was 99, and he lost one. He went to go look for the one sheep. Now, it wasn't because he didn't care about the 99 sheep. The 99 sheep were safe and at home. But he went after the one. But, you know, when we make insensitive comments, we're like the sheep over there in the sheepfold, safe and sound, saying, all sheep matter. <laughs> yeah, we know. But you're not the one in danger right now. You're not the one who needs healing right now. You're not the one who has a problem right now. It doesn't take away from you. So Jesus, he cared about the 99, but they were fine to go after the one to save the one sheep's life. And that's how much he cares about all of us in here. No matter what color you are, he is the one who goes after the one. And we as his church should feel that same way about other people who are being mistreated. The same way about people that are going through through things that we don't understand, we should feel that same way about them like Jesus did to go after the one. You're okay, right? <laughs> In Luke 15 also, it reminds me of the prodigal son. We got a lot of people in the church world 
who have the older brother syndrome. Oh, your dad's looking after the son that was lost and hurting, and he's trying to bring him back in the house and restore him? But the white church, and they got this older brother syndrome. But what about me? You know what the father said to the older son? Because he wasn't rejoicing when the, when the younger son was coming home and the, the, the father was trying to restore him back to the place that he needed to be as a rightful son. And I feel like that's what God is trying to do in this nation, in this world, because there's people that aren't white that haven't had the same opportunities and privileges that we have as white people. And especially in the church world, he's trying to restore them back to their rightful sonship and their rightful place. And the older brother's standing back like this. And saying, but what about me? But this son did this and this and this. And what did the father do? The father grabbed the son who needed help who needed attention right there, who needed healing, and he put, a, he put the best robe on him, and he put the best shoes on him, and he restored him, and he said, let's, fill, let's kill the fatted calf, and let's have a party, and let's, let's have a, a celebration because he who was lost is found, and everything's being restored right now, and you should be rejoicing. But the older brother was standing back saying, what, what about me, though? I'm talking especially to the white church. And you know what he said to his older son? You have always been in this house. (laughs) Everything I have is already yours. You never left. You've always had this. You could have had a steak cookout every night of your life. But right now, it's not about you. It's about someone who is in need, and God is trying to restore them back to the rightful place. Are you guys still here this morning? I know I'm saying a lot today. So, why does this matter to you? Why does this pertain to you? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but let me give you a verse. Philippians 2. And two through five in the passion. The apostle Paul encouraging this church says, so I'm asking you, my friends, that you would be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and that you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions. Come on, that's a word for all of us. For they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but be authentic in humility and to put others first and view others as more important than yourself. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. In verse 5, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. 
I love this passage because Paul reminds his church, it's not about you, church. It's not about you having your opinion for the sake of you having your opinion. It's about unity. It's about others. And he's encouraging this church, don't just think about yourself, think about others. Don't just think about putting yourself first, but think about what other people are going through and get on their level with empathy and compassion, just like Jesus set the example for us. So let me continue a little bit further today. In 2017, and I looked it up, Justin and I talked on a Sunday morning about a message about race and redemption. That was three years ago when there was first a lot of recordings of black men specifically getting killed, not just by police officers, but other people too. But it was happening time and time again on the news But then the other problem was not that it was just being recorded, but those same people were never being put to justice for it. It's like a white person is killed and that person's in jail the rest of their life. An African-American is killed and they get two months in a cheeseburger. Oh, you don't want to say nothing. Okay. That's wrong. So... We're talking, that's in 2017 with Justin and I were talking, and we're in 2020, and it's the same thing. Here's what a lot of people do not understand, too, especially I would say a large portion of the white community is they see all these different things that happen as isolated things that happen. Not realizing the bigger picture. That's why, once again, they say insensitive comments because they don't get it. They don't understand. Just like right now, a lot of people are saying, well, it was just George Floyd in, in Minnesota. And that's, that's like one thing. Why are people losing it? Why are people protesting? Why are people rioting? Well, that's not just George Floyd. That was just the last straw. This thing is 400 years old. But I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to explain to you as white people in here, a lot of you just see this thing and this thing, and they don't put it all together. you got to realize there, there's a reason for the riots and the protests and things that are going on today, and it's a lot of times because we don't understand the history of what's happened in our country from the beginning. Once again, because we don't want to look at it because we have to be humble. To realize that this has been happening 400 years in our country with African-American people. From the time slavery started 400 years ago, when they didn't voluntarily come over here, they were brought here to be slaves to build this country. And then we realized that they endured all that through slavery, beaten, abused, never even treated as a human. And then you go from that to the Civil War, and even though there was freedoms, they really weren't free. If you study your history books, you realize even though they were free, the government put in other laws to make sure they really weren't free. It's like, you're free, but you can't vote, can't own a house, can't do this, can't go here, you can't get education, you can't get health care. So they said you're free, but you're not really free. A lot of white people don't even know all about that. So that happened. 
So people were thinking, well, the, the, the Civil War, you know, African-American people are free. Everything's right again. But it wasn't right again. It got a little better, but there's still all these issues. Then we go on to the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s and Martin Luther King. And there was issues then, even in the 1960s, which some of you were alive in the 1960s. It's not that far back. Black people were still being segregated against. Black people still couldn't have the same education. They still couldn't have the same health care. Still couldn't live in the same communities. The, the story goes on and on and on. That wasn't too far ago. And even after the civil rights movement, there was improvements, but there's still things that haven't changed since then. See, see what I'm seeing here is there's a disconnect in, in white America that they think in 1960s with Martin Luther King that, it, that we're all good since then. And it has to do with the lack of understanding. I'm not blaming you. I'm saying just because you haven't lived that life, you don't understand it. It's called privilege. That's a, that doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't make you have to be ashamed. But I'm saying that's been going on whether you knew about it or not. And you're thinking everything's hunky-dory since the 1960s and Martin Luther King. And it wasn't. And a lot of those things are still going on today in America. And just because us as white people, which I is, don't understand it, don't live that life, doesn't mean it's not happening. And also, we don't have the right to say, get over it. And we don't have the right to say, don't keep playing the race card on me. And we don't have the right to keep saying to our friends, stop being a victim when you don't live that life. It's insensitive. No compassion, no empathy. And even today, in 2020, and I know it's 54 minutes right now. You okay still? And even today in 2020, whether you want to recognize it or not, in 2020, a lot of these things are still happening. Still today. We think we got over this a long time ago. We didn't. And you realize for 400 years, if you sow and sow and sow and sow that, you're going to reap it eventually. That wound never got healed during the Civil War and never got healed during the Civil Rights. It's still not healed in 2020. And if we don't do something about it and keep ignoring it, the pain and the wound will still be there. Okay, my amens are getting weaker. I know I'm not a history teacher. I'm trying to do the best I can here. But you got to realize even in 2020, 20 today i'm talking about in the natural without supernatural intervention hey i still believe the word i know god can promote you and give you favor no matter what color you are i believe that what i'm saying does not discount that can both be true at the same time i'm just talking about in the natural still to this day african americans a lot of times are forced to live in certain communities still today that banks don't want to give them loans, still today, 2020. They don't have the same health care that white people do, still today. A lot of the universities 
Don't accept them. Compared to white people, when they see a black-sounding name and a white-sounding name, they choose the white-sounding name. It's proven. When employers look at the list of people, they, they'll choose Jim over a black-sounding name. That's true in 2020. I'm not saying everybody does that, but a large majority still in this country today, that happens, and just because you don't experience it, Experience it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Okay. <laughs> so, you put the, the combination of all of that for 400 years, and you're like, why are people rioting? Why are people upset? 400 years of that. And then in 2020, still a lot of that stuff is true. Better, but still true. Better than it was 200 years ago, but still true. I know I'm saying a lot this morning. And then you add on top of that the amount of black men specifically that get murdered by not just police officers, because we're not against police officers, but there is a lot of things that happen like that. But even other white men, we saw that recently. There was two white men that chased a black man down just because he was jogging in a white neighborhood and killed them. It's not right. So we're going to wrap this up here. But I wanted to give you a little history because especially for my white brothers and sisters in Christ that don't get it. And I'm not shaming you for not getting it. I'm not saying you're a racist because you don't get it because I don't believe we have racists in our church. But I am saying there are some blind spots. And there are some things we don't see. And there's some things we don't get because we're white and we have privileges and opportunities that a lot of people that don't look like us have not had. And all it takes is humility to understand that and agree with that and do something about it. Whew. So, just trying to help you as your pastor see it. I even know for myself, and this is just a personal thing, and we're going to close here soon. I just, I got so much to say. And you guys know this because I talk about it all the time my whole life. I love black people. I've always wanted to be a black person. I don't deny that ever. I, I used to hate that I was white. I'm not even joking. Okay, enough from the front. Yes, I eventually got a hold of the word, and I was like, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made white. I'll accept it. Anyways, so... I mean, you know, growing up, and I've said this before, my two best friends were Josh Lowry, who's a black man, and Josh Flores, who was a Puerto Rican. So uh, that's been my whole life. I don't know anything different than that. Um, never thought anything different than that. They lived in our house. And uh, growing up, all my heroes were black people. Still are. All my favorite athletes are. Now, this is not me trying to tell you about my blackness. I'm going to a point here. <laughs> Before you get insensitive for a second. <laughs> oh, pastor's trying to act like he's black now. No, I'm not. I'm, tr I'm getting to a point. So anyways, all my heroes were black men. All my favorite athletes were black. All my favorite musicians were black. All my favorite preachers were black, as you can see. So Bishop Jakes, Bishop G.E. Patterson, people like that, I mean, 
that was my heroes growing up, still is today. I, I, I just, I love it. And black gospel, when we were raised up in our house, when we were younger, Jessica and I, we listened to black gospel. There was no such thing as Hillsong. There was no such thing as elevation worship or Bethel worship. We listened to Kirk Franklin and Donnie McClurkin and Fred Hammond. That's, that's what we grew up on. That is our life. But I had to see later on in life, even though I love black people and I have loved black culture, even as a white person thinking that I knew certain things, I realized growing up I didn't realize some things they were going through. When I got a little bit older and got a little more educated on the subject, I realized that not that I was intentionally doing something wrong or that I should be ashamed for being white, but I haven't always understood some things even though I felt like I was a part of it. And it takes humility to say that as a person. So I want to encourage us that we can all learn and we can all grow more in this. A lot of times when this subject is brought up, especially about white privilege or any other word like that, defensiveness comes up in white people. I know the first time I heard the word, I go, I didn't do anything. It's not my fault. You get defensive. But notice that's not humility. Then one, one time when somebody explained it to me, I dropped my guard and realized, yeah, that does make sense. I have had certain privileges as a white person that other people haven't, and I need to use that responsibility for good and be empathetic and compassionate to other people. So I'm saying even though you can love black people and love black culture, we can always grow in our understanding of other people that aren't like us, even though we think we're a part of it. And that's not a statement to make us feel like we're all separated and we all don't understand each other. I'm just saying every different culture and every type of person is different. So four things I want to close with today real quickly. And I had had a talk with, uh, with Justin and Josh the other week just about maybe some practical things that I could leave you with today about racism in the church. Maybe four kind of steps you could take as a believer in Jesus. The first one is to listen. To listen. In James 1, 19 through 20, it says to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We should listen to other people that are not like us. We should be understanding of other people. And before we want to open our mouth and give our opinion, we need to listen to other people that have a different perspective or are going through something. Especially people that are hurting. We should listen to them. Have those conversations. The next thing is we should learn. Like I mentioned to you earlier, a lot of us, especially white people in here, we don't get it because we've never been educated on black history. Doesn't make you bad. You just don't get it. So how are you going to get it? You're going to have to learn by listening to a message like the one I just preached. And by listening to other people. And notice once you get it, you're responsible for what you know. Number three. Diversify your table. That means you should make more of an effort, especially within our church community, 
to get to know people that aren't like you. Maybe take them out to eat. Maybe, maybe have them over at your house. Maybe start a new relationship with somebody who doesn't look like you. It could be uncomfortable at first, but how are you ever going to grow if you don't do that? How are we ever going to have the church that we want to have unless we get beyond just our little circle of friends and people? And lastly, speak up. When I say speak up, I don't mean you have to post something on Facebook and Instagram every day. When I say speak up, I mean in multiple ways. I mean personally in your life, to your family, speak up. If people make racial comments or stereotypes, speak up. Don't laugh at it. Don't let it go. You might even throw some mashed potatoes at each other, but speak up. Speak up to your kids about it. Hatred and racism is not something you're born with. It's something you're taught. So you're going to have to teach your kids. You're going to have to speak up to your kids, speak up to your family. But even speak up publicly. Now, you don't have to speak up to every issue because there's so many of them. But I say, listen to the Holy Spirit. I can't force you to say anything. And you shouldn't force other people to say anything. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to you about saying something, speak up. Could be, could be a post on social media. Could be talking to a friend. Could be calling a mayor. It could be all sorts of things, but when the Holy Spirit moves on you, speak up. So once again, here's four steps we could take at a church to deal with racism and be the church that God wants us to be. Listen to people that are not like you. Learn from them. Learn the history of it. Maybe that will explain to you what's going on. Diversify the people that are at your table or in your life. Shouldn't just all be the same color of person or the same age of person. Try to get out from beyond that. And lastly, speak up.